Well everybody, what's the crack? And welcome back to episode number 6 of the Inline-G podcast with me, your host, Inline-G. First of all, I have to say a big thank you, because the numbers on last week's podcast, episode number 5, the flute bands of Northern Ireland, were fucking spectacular. I am over the moon with them, so... Thank you so fucking much to all of yous. You did me such a big favour there. Five episodes. It's a lot of time writing these episodes. They take a lot out of me. And I am so thankful that you're out there listening. I got a lot of lovely messages from people too, saying they listened to the entire episode. And it was one of their favourites. So thank you so fucking much. It's very, very appreciated. Now listen, today we're going to get through this podcast um, quite swiftly. I'm going to move on. I'm going to try to not ramble. It's a very difficult topic to talk about. This is actually the second time I've recorded this episode. I just finished, about 20 minutes ago, an entire recording, and I got too emotional. And I had to delete the entire thing and restart again. So here we go, take a fucking two on this episode. We are going to be talking about music college culture. And this is going to be my kind of guide to surviving music college. Surviving being a very um, potentially dramatic word, but here. So we're looking at music college culture today. We're going to be looking at the best and the worst of it. I'm going to be mainly talking about my own experiences of music college. I'll talk about some articles as well later. Talking on the positives too. So we're talking a lot of positives and the good things about music college. Unfortunately, we are going to spend quite a bit of time on the negatives and the toxic culture and the difficult things about music college as well. Probably more so, to be totally fucking honest, which I'm very sorry about. So listen, this episode... It's for everybody, obviously. Um, It's going to be particularly useful if you are going to music college anytime soon. So if you've been accepted to go in September, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, you might find this helpful. If you're currently in music college, you might also find this helpful in some kind of way. If you were previously at music college and you maybe are a little bit disillusioned or look back at it with not so fond memories like myself or mixed emotions like myself, um, hopefully you'll get something out of this. Maybe this will vilify or justify your emotions in some kind of way. Um, So yeah, quick bit of housekeeping before we get started here. Um, Trigger warning. So this podcast will not be talking about sexual abuse. It will not be detailing sexual abuse, but we will be detailing psychological abuse. So if that's the kind of thing that might trigger you, I recommend go listen to another episode. Go listen to another podcast, okay? Um, there's a couple of great ones out there. Go to listen to Talking Flutes if you're in the mood for a flute podcast. If you're in the mood for a lovely relaxing podcast, my personal favourite is the Blind Boy podcast. Uh, next up, I will not be naming individual names of certain individuals throughout this. I will be hiding their identities, abusive people, essentially, anyone I'm accusing of abuse in my own experiences. I will be hiding their names, not because I'm afraid or not because of anything else, just because of libel laws which are different to slander, libel laws because this is a publication and a media outlet officially. Um, I can't say names in case I get sued. But if you really want to know the names or you feel like you might know the person and you're concerned about it or you want more information, send me a message and we'll talk about it outside of the public domain. So listen, this is a very sensitive topic. I'm going to try and give this whole thing the care and attention it deserves. I'm going to try to be as unemotional as possible. It is my second time recording this, as I said. I'm going to try and keep a lid on my emotions, okay? So last thing to remember, please remember, as I record this podcast, I am from a working class background and most of my viewpoints come from that background. Um, Also, This will get a little bit political, or it might have political connotations. It's hard not to with this topic. 
if it's if it's it shouldn't be a surprise to you at this point that I am quite left wing. Okay, so please don't fucking come at me with I didn't know you were left wing, stop making it political, like some people already have. If you didn't know I was left wing and you didn't know I was political, go fuck yourself. I don't care. I'm just giving you a warning. So if you don't like people who are a little bit left wing talking about shit, fuck off now. Go listen to something else. Go listen to Nigel Farage. I don't care. Anyway, we're getting stuck in part one, baby. Right, part one. Starting in a pretty normal place, to be totally honest. You probably saw this coming, but what the fuck is a music college? That's what we're going to start with, because I imagine most of you guys know what a music college or a conservatoire is. But for those of you who don't, we're going to quickly cover that. So let's rifle through this. A music college is a third level education establishment, meaning it's after high school, it's the highest level of education you can get. Um, It's where you specialize in classical music or other performing arts training. Okay. And unlike music courses at brackets, a normal university, um, these places have a more vocational focus on performance generally speaking. So you go there to perform. They offer all the usual courses a third level institution offers. So bachelor degrees, master degrees, PhDs, blah, 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 blah. They're much smaller than universities and there's a lot less of them. The UK, for example, has 10 music conservatoires across the country, usually less than a thousand students. The UK also has over 160 universities, often with around 30,000 students. So we're talking, there's not many of them now. UK conservatoires, I can't name all 10, but you know what I'm talking about. The fucking Royal College of Music, the Royal Academy of Music, Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, Trinity Daban, Guildhall School of Music and Drama, Leeds College of Music, Birmingham Conservatoire, and the other two I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah, you have the audition to get in. The audition is how you get in. Very rigorous audition process, usually of multiple rounds, um, and places are granted almost entirely on how your audition performs. So your academic performance beforehand doesn't really matter. Okay, to give you an example, I got great GCSEs. My AS levels, which are like the first half of my A levels, got great grades. I think I got three A's and a B or something. Finished with two A levels, fuck them. Okay, I fucked them. Because I got my offer from Music College already, I didn't give a fuck, and I didn't pra- I didn't study anymore, I just went and practiced. I fucked them. I did really bad my A-levels, because I didn't care. Anyway, so for example, if you go to audition for a bachelor course at one of the music colleges for flute, you might find yourself up against one to two hundred other people. There's only going to be about four spots, usually. So this is how fucking competitive we're talking, multi-round, blah, blah, blah. It's it's strict. It's hard to get into. It's really, to be honest, the real achievement of music college is getting in. Um, where did I go? I went to the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama for my bachelor degree. And then for my postgraduate studies after the Royal Welsh, I went to the École Normale de Musique de Paris. That is French. Ooh la la. Uh, in Paris. So I did my, yeah, I did my postgrad studies in Paris. I knew I didn't want to stay in the UK. I knew I couldn't afford to stay in the UK. That's going to be a theme of this podcast. <laughs> money, money, money. Um, couldn't afford to stay in the UK. Tried with teachers in different areas. Looked at different things. Settled on Paris. Away I went. I found my teacher there, Catherine Canton, principal food of the opera. And away I went. And that's all she wrote. So here, let's get the balls rolling. We are going to start today nicely. We're going to start in a nice good way with the positives of music college. So, part two of the podcast, we are on positives of music college. Now, actually, I'm going to start by saying I'm having a delicious drink today. I'm not drinking alcohol for this episode because my emotions are already struggling to regulate through this and a drink is the last thing I need here. I would be an emotional mess if I didn't. I'd be 
sitting up all night listening to two become one by the spice girls and crying if i had so much as a sip of that devil's liquor so i am on a delicious dr pepper strawberries and cream i know i shit in america a lot in this podcast but sometimes you guys come up good man this stuff is fucking class it's so sugary it's lit i think it breaks like fucking 47 different european union laws but i don't care man it's great oh god bless america so anyway here positives of music college i'm gonna start by sam music college I fucking loved it for the most part. I adored it. I adored studying classical music full time. I that was amazing. I fucking loved it. It was the most fulfilling experience of my entire life and likely to be the most fulfilling experience I will ever have in my life. Um, I would do it now again if I could. A lot of people do study well into their 30s and classical music is very common. Um, I'm only 30 and I'm not studying anymore because I can't afford to. It's very fucking expensive. If I had unlimited money tomorrow, if I won the lottery, honest to fucking God, I would go and roll it back in music college. That'd be the first thing I would do. I loved it. I cannot tell you how much fun it is going to study about everything you love every single day. And that's also my background because, you know, I didn't grow up in classical music. I didn't have that surrounding. I learned flute through flutes and flute bands. If you don't know about that, go check out last week's episode, number five, Flute Bands Northern Ireland. Fuck, I'm getting good at this. Um... Yeah, I grew up with all that background, didn't do youth orchestras, I didn't go to other countries to do master classes, any of that shit. My uncle and my grandfather taught me how to play flute, and then I went to music college at 18. I listened to a lot of classical music when I was younger, I sort of found that on my own, and bought loads of records, and went to concerts, and did all that as much as you could in Belfast. And, yeah, sort of discovered all on my own. There were youth orchestras, by the way, in Belfast, I just didn't get to fucking play on them, I, it just wasn't in my world. It was very detached, I wasn't in that side of Belfast. Um, I was flute band, so anyway... I auditioned at 18, did all my you know auditions around the UK, got rejected from a lot of places, and then got offered a scholarship at the Royal Welsh, uh, which is money. So away I went. Money, money, money. The big thing about doing my audition with Royal Welsh and the guy on my panel, well, the two guys, they told me afterwards why I got in. My playing had a lot of gaps in it. My technique had a lot of gaps, bad habits from flute bands, all that kind of shit. But the interview nailed it for me because when I got the talk and talk a bit of shite it just flew they see how passionate i was about it they see how much i wanted to study it and they knew if they give me the environment of music college i'd fucking thrive and they were right i I fucking did i was dying to be around musicians and in that world and i brought like a little portfolio and all with me of all the arrangements i'd done and all these things i'd done without that environment and they obviously thought fuck put him in the environment he'll catch up with the technique eventually and he's got stuff to offer and they give me that offer and thank christ they did it changed the entire course of my life for the better so off i went off i trotted to the royal welsh college of music google a picture of it royal welsh college of music and drama um if you google a picture it looks like a fucking spaceship it looks like the not the nostromo that's from the first alien movie the ah fuck is it is just the prometheus isn't it in the Prometheus movie. I've been binge watching all the Alien movies recently. They're so fucking good. Anyway. Um, yeah, it looks like one of the ships out of Alien. <laughs> out of Alien. And um, it's an incredible building. And every day I walked in there. And I just looked up and I was like, man, this fucking place is so cool. And it was. Like, I, I never got over that. Four years of studying there. I never got over that walking down the corridor and you'd see fucking famous musician after famous musician you'd be like yeah i saw him in the concert last week there's the solo whatever whatever orchestra 
you know, masterclass teachers coming in, fucking famous soloists and conductors just walking about the place. You're like, what the fuck, man? I love this. You know, I go to like lessons with my teacher and he'd tell me the old story about like how he used to play in the BBC orchestra and what like rep he played and like Bernard Hiding was conducting this symphony. And I was like, oh man, could have been fucking Liam Gallagher standing there and I would give less of a fuck. This was rock and roll with me. This was like heaven. This guy was describing the life I always wanted to have. And there it was. And I was in this world. I was in the door. I was in. They'd let me through. I'd open the wee lock up. And away I went through. And they said, come on in, Gareth. The water's lovely. And I got in. And I fucking splashed around. And I probably pissed in the pool. I was that excited. Like a wee dog. I loved every fucking second of it. Um, It was great. So that's one of the things I would say is probably the best thing about music college is the environment they create for you. They give you so many resources. They give you, like, you know, you're going to, you play in orchestras, you play in operas, you play in chamber music, you play in symphonic concerts, you're doing solo repertoire, you're playing in different concert halls with great acoustics, you're getting free tickets to concerts that are on inside the fucking place. That's incredible. Free tickets to concerts. Jesus, if you're in music college now, take advantage of that because when you get older, they they charge you money for them. You have to pay for concerts when you get older and fuck that. I saw a concert last week, by the way, talking about classical music being out of touch. Concert last week, uh, 82 euro a ticket for an orchestra. Uh, Hello, cost of living crisis. 82 fucking euro for an orchestra. Go fuck yourself. Absolutely go fuck yourself. You could get... About 37 tins of Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream for that. And I know which one I'd rather have. This, this is worse than alcohol. I'm fucking buzzed. That's so good. Um, Go to the free concerts, lads. Fucking take the money. It's great. Um, that, it, The environment of music college is incredible. I loved it. It's a very special and unique environment. You're surrounded by a very passionate subject and a subject that people talk about passionately. I was in love with the place. And the same in Paris. I was absolutely in love with it. I enjoyed going to every fucking class. I enjoyed going to harmony class. I enjoyed going to fucking... Even in Paris when I was going to solfege class. And the woman was shouting at me like an evil old witch. I loved every second of it. I just thought, I'm fucking here. I'm studying music all the time. I don't have to do fucking maths anymore. I don't have to do physics. I don't have to do fucking English literature. I'm just doing music. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Um... Even though in the very, 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 very first class I had in music history, uh, one of the questions the teacher asked was, can someone name a contemporary of Johannes Brahms? And the question was sort of aimed at the fact that Brahms' music style doesn't sound like the era he's in. It sounds a little bit... There's a little bit of a, a disjoint between the style of Brahms' music and what year he actually was. A lot later than you think. That was the idea of the question. Someone put their hand up and went, Thomas Tallis? And I was like, oh my fucking God, here we go. It's like being back in there. Ah. But anyway, God help them wherever they are now. Not Thomas Tallis, he's dead. So it's Brahms. Um, anyway, Music College, very special environment. Special, unique environment, wonderful place. But special, unique environment brings special and unique problems. And special, and unique problems don't have easy solutions. So we're going to talk about that next. Part three of this topic is going to be a big one of the episode is going to be toxic music college culture. Now, if you go into Google right now, away you go, open it up and type in dealing with university stress or type in dealing with university anxiety or toxic university environments, you're going to get a shitload of results and you'll probably find a bit of help in your area to it. And that's brilliant. It's not quite there yet, but it is brilliant. 
Now, a lot of this stuff applies to music college, but there is one big fucking difference between music college and university and pretty much any other form of study, and that is the student-teacher relationship. We spend a lot of time with our teachers individually. So your individual instrumental teacher. So my flute teacher, the violin player's violin teacher, etc., etc. You spend a lot of time with these people. I think it's about 40 hours a year you get. It's an hour a week, essentially, and it's the most consistent thing you do. It's the most important person in your entire career there. Um, usually they're superstars. They're famous. They're idols of yours, and you're going every week with them. You hang on their every fucking word. If they say jump, you say hi, hi. You're amazed that you're in the same room with them. Even though you're 18 years old, right up to when you're fucking 30. Older. When I go to lessons now, if I go to a foot lesson, I'm still sometimes going, oh my God, it's you. And you're still amazed. I don't get that with many people. And it's, yeah, these people are incredibly famous and they're spending one-to-one time with us. When you go to university, sometimes you get a famous lecturer, but you're not getting one-to-one with them for an hour every week where they're personally invested in you. But that's the training you get at a music college. Now, the problem with that is it does develop a really extreme power balance. It's very heavily weighted in the other person's, in the teacher's way, in the teacher's way, obviously. And it, it, I mean, a very extreme power balance. And what happens with that is it can be abused. Now, what I will say is all teachers, not just instrumental teachers at music college, every teacher in the world, your primary duty is a duty of care. Before you teach, before you do any of that shit, the well-being of your students is number fucking one, without a doubt. Okay, put yourself in the situation. When you're 18 and you go to music college, you might have moved country, you don't know any people there. You're in a new city, you've never lived alone on your own, you've got no friends, you've got no partner. You're in this fucking elite environment, it's high stress, high performance, you're being asked to play in a concert next week, you're dealing with your idols, and it's a fucking unstable life everything's thrown at you in one go. It's very stressful, very quickly. Your life's all over the place. It's very unstable. The one stability should be that person you're going to one hour a week. They should provide stability and they are owed, they owe you stability in the sense that you should be able to say, I've got my flute lesson this Friday at one o'clock, like I do every week, and it's going to make me feel good. I know where that's going. It doesn't mean they have to be good to you or nice in every lesson, But that should be like a concrete thing that you're making progress and you're there for that. It's the most important thing. And if that goes well, you feel like you can hold on to everything else. That's the stability in your life. And to be honest, most of the time, well, not most of the time, about 43% of the time, but we'll get on to that later, um, teachers are aware of that. And listen, there's going to be a part of this podcast later, which I want to get to as quick as fucking possible, where I'm going to talk about my positive experiences with teachers at Music College. Because I had three wonderful teachers at Music College who I love the fucking pieces, and I cannot wait to wax lyrical about them. But before we do that, I have had other teachers, and I've been to other lessons, and they haven't been so good. So I'm going to give you two quick examples of things that happened to me at Music College that are not half as bad as what happened to anyone else, but this is a rough idea. So the first one is a financial one. Financial things are going to be a big part of this podcast. I come from working class again. I'm not, I am going to keep saying it to drill it home. I don't have money. I never had money. We don't have fucking money. That's okay. You shouldn't need it. When I went to a certain music college, I'm trying to think of a way to talk about this without giving you a clue to who it is, but I don't give a fuck. Anyway, when I went to a music college, I had in my studies X amount of hours with my teacher uh, per year. And in their contract was, you must provide Gareth with X amount of hours. It works out to roughly an hour a week during the school year. 
So it is like an hour a week for 40 weeks or something. Um, now this teacher was very busy. They were an orchestral player, a soloist. They were doing all kinds of amazing shit. And they weren't always there for lessons, which was kind of cool as well. Because like, yeah, my teacher can't come this week. They're a soloist. You know what I mean? But I'll get them eventually. So they had to catch up on lessons. And for a while in one of the years I was there, they would say, come around to my house with the other students as well. We'd all go around and get our lessons there because they didn't have time to come to the college. We got our lessons and then I got hit a couple of days later with a bill for my fucking lesson. So the teacher had decided to charge everybody, even though they were getting paid for the lessons they never fucking give at the college. And I had paid all my fucking money to the college. I'm sorry, I'm saying fuck a lot. I need to calm down. They had the fucking audacity to charge me. And what did I do about it? Fuck all. I did fuck all. I shut up and I give them the money that I didn't have and starve for a couple of weeks. That's the kind of power imbalance we're talking about. I wouldn't give anyone a fucking penny if they didn't ask for it these days. But I don't like to get swindled. I'm very careful because I've been swindled one too many times. He says like a fucking old western lawyer. But that was the power dynamic. I sucked it up and I passed the money over. I gave over my pound of flesh and away. Away they went on their fucking jolly way. That's the first example. Financial issues. The second one is a lot worse. And I hate telling this story. But I'm going to tell you this because I tell it in pubs all the time. When people ask, oh is music college really like whiplash? And you go, no, it's, yeah it is but it's worse. I cried in a lesson. The last time I cried in a lesson was about three, four years ago. I think it was 26, four years ago. I cried in a lesson badly. Now, I don't cry in lessons because I don't let people get to me that much. And I don't think lessons mean that fucking much that I should be crying in them. And you shouldn't cry anyway. It should be a positive thing. I went to a teacher here in Germany. And I wasn't living in Germany at the time. So I was visiting to this person. I'm going to say he because I can't do the they thing and concentrate on it. I'm going to drop it. So um, I'm going to do he. Uh... I visited him for a couple of lessons at this point. This is probably my third lesson with them. Um, and the way the lesson structure worked was you would play maybe fucking two bars at the start of the lesson. You'd play for about six seconds. He would stop you and say, right, I can tell from those two bars, this is what we're going to work on today. Articulation, sound production, I don't know. But he would know from those two bars, that's enough. Six seconds of playing, he goes, right, this is what we're doing today. And that was grand. That was great, actually. Because it wasn't, it was working on what I wanted to. He was incredibly attentive as a teacher and knew exactly what you needed. So I got used to that kind of system. I went in third or fourth lesson, I can't remember which it was. And I played the Mozart Concerto in G major, started playing, didn't get stopped. I think, oh, nice, keep playing, first page is done, I'm going, fuck, here, I must be playing well. Finish the exposition, doesn't say a word, just keeps looking out the window away from me and I'm thinking, fuck, is it going well here? I keep playing, I keep playing. Started to get in the groove, baby. I'm like, here, yeah, fuck, I'm going to make it big time. Emmanuel Bayou, watch out. Finish the last note. He's still staring out the window back to me. He stares longingly, like a fucking prick, out the window like he's in a movie. Like, fuck off, Brendan Gleeson. And then he turns and walks towards me. So he turns after a few seconds of silence, looks me dead in the eye, opens his eyes, walks towards me, not breaking eye contact, comes right up to me, puts his nose, I mean like half a centimetre, potentially away from my nose chest about half a centimeter away from my chest right up staring into my eyes stands in silence for about three seconds which felt like a fucking millennium and then he went your mozart is a fucking abortion and what did i do 
Did I, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, did I, A, headbutt the fucker, <laughs> did I, B, spark him out, or did I, C, cry? Ding, 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 I, C, cried. Now, in any other situation, where, now, can I just say about this fella as well, he's in his fucking 60s. He's not physically bigger than me, so I shouldn't have been intimidated by him physically. It's the kind of shit, if that happened in Belfast, I'd be fucking headbutting. If someone comes right up into your space like that, you go for them. You, the gloves are off. They've decided already they're going to break that physical barrier and they're going to threaten you physically. If you're going to threaten me physically, I'm going to spark you out if I'm bigger than you. And he has an English accent, which doesn't fucking help either because if you say anything to me in an English accent that isn't nice, the inner Belfast comes out and, you know, the petrol bomb starts getting me and I'm going to fucking put the balaclava on and kick your bollocks in. And then he said the C word there. Can't say the C word. My granny had burned. Um, <laughs> um, so... I didn't do any of that. Now, if this person had done that to me in a pub, I would have fucking smacked them. Obviously. What did I do instead? I cried. And I th- there's not a day goes by that I don't think about that and think, I wish I'd sparked them out. I wish someone would spark them out and I should have done it because I'm bigger and the other students that he does that to maybe aren't bigger than them physically. They might be girls. They might be smaller or females. Or they might not have the confidence that I do. I have all the potential to do that. If anyone was going to do it, it was me. And I didn't. And I cried instead. And I was heartbroken. I got out. I just thought, fuck me, get me out of this lesson as soon as possible. I got outside and then broke down in tears. And then I got angry at myself. I was like, Gareth, fuck me. Why didn't you spark him out? This is ridiculous. But that is the power balance that gets created. Years of music college. I felt like I was 13 years old. 13 years old being yelled at by my dad. Music college does that to you. It brings you into a very strange place that you would, a mental state that you would never find yourself in as a fully grown adult. I was 26 years of age, man. I should have. I. No, that's not the way to behave. For me, I was very ashamed of myself. I've been a bit more gentle on myself in recent years, but still. um, This is what happens in music college. And I will say, just to finish this topic quickly, music colleges should have windows. Every fucking practice room in a music college should have a window. You should be able to see in. Nothing should be behind closed doors entirely. There's no harm in putting a window in. If a college is fighting putting windows in, there's something dodgy going on behind there. Now, the teacher who did this to me in Germany has fought against Windows for years. I wonder why. I'm sure you're not doing anything weird back there, anything you shouldn't be doing. Fucking prick. If they're fighting against it, there's something wrong. And I will say, the only good thing about the current world that we're living in with this is there's a lot of attention being drawn to this in different places. There's a couple of different social media accounts and stuff. Opera is racist, orchestra is racist, music college stories or music school stories where people anonymously post their stories of abuse. The teachers who have abused people are fucking shaken. And they should be. And again, I will tell you now, if you want to know the names of anybody I talk about in this, talk to me privately outside this. I'll have calmed down by the time this comes out. And I'll tell you, happily, especially if you're worried that you might be having to go see them or put up with something, or you feel like you've been abused by them as well, come and speak to me. But I can't do it on the podcast. I'll get sued for libel. Can't do it. But anyway, talking about great places where you can read or great resources where we can talk about this we're going to move on to the next part of the podcast so part four of the podcast is i've been wanting to cover this topic for a very long time i've been wanting to speak about this for a very long time i just haven't really found the medium to do so now that i've got the podcast it was perfect to sort of open the box and get the ball rolling on the whole thing but there was one thing that really pushed me towards doing that and that was an article i saw a couple of weeks ago in the evening standard back in the uk Now, the article was by a young journalist called Hattie Butterworth. 
who I didn't know until this article came up. Now I've went and followed her. She's the editor at uh, Upper Now magazine. Upper Now. Sorry, my accent is getting stronger. And she hosts her own podcast called Things Musicians Don't Say, which I highly recommend you go and check out. I've watched a few episodes now. Fucking banging. Go check it out, please. Anyway, she wrote an article a couple of weeks ago entitled Controlling Behaviour, Emotional Abuse, Is Classical Music Teaching Broken? And it looks at the psychological and emotional abuse as opposed to the sexual abuse in the classical music world. Now, there is obviously many high-profile cases, accusations, etc., etc., of sexual abuse in the classical music world. This is just an article that's not going to talk about that specifically, but highlight the other types of abuse, which is also rife. So it does have a couple of stories from different people inside, anonymous, changing names or keeping their names, whatever. Um, It does highlight the importance of how difficult it is to come forward and speak about these things. It has a story at the start. Now, I'm not going to read you much. um, I'm not going to read you the article. Go and find it, please, obviously. Um, Google it. If you Google Hattie Butterworth's name and some part of the title, I don't know, Hattie Butterworth, Classical Music Teaching Broken or something, you'll find the article straight away. It was on the Evening Standard, I think on the 11th of July, something around that. You'll find it very quickly. It's superb. Go read it. It's free. There's no paywall. Knock yourselves out. Please go read it. It's fucking amazing. Um, I'll read you a quick bit of the start purely because um, I want you to get a flavour of it and this is the part I specifically want to talk about. So the article starts like this. It was everything Lily could have dreamed of. At summer school, age 16, a prestigious flute teacher offered her a place in his university class after just one lesson. He told her she was special and that he was the only person that could teach her properly. It was an honour to be asked. Calls and texts from the teacher made Lily feel cared for and important. He said she could stay in his house while auditioning, saving her a lot of money on accommodation. His care soon took the form of arranging her housing, paperwork and finances as she went to study with him. Then insisting she used his bank, optician, doctor and osteopath. He devised plans for all aspects of her life, from her weight and what she ate to her complexion and clothing. Then further on in the article, it goes on to say, What made Lily's situation hard was that she had no one to talk to. to, talk to. And it wasn't all the time. He was sometimes incredibly complimentary about her playing. He was very senior. And the forms of his misconduct were made incredibly difficult to prove. And he was behaving in similar ways to everyone in the flute class. The behaviour was surely normal, question mark. But after four years of having her life taken over by his teaching, as well as his questioning her sexuality and sometimes being handsy, i.e. touching her inappropriately, Lily was ready to give up the flute altogether and finally decide she had to leave. And then, quoting Lily, it says... On reflection, I could use the word groomed to describe how I was chosen to study with him. I was very lucky to have found a way to continue past his abuse. Okay, now that's me finishing quoting this article. That is the most common story I hear at music college. I have heard that story in one shape or form, I swear to God, at least 15 times. At least 15 times. I'm not exaggerating in the slightest, and that's just from me personally. I'll tell you how fucking common it is. There was a joint study by the Musicians Union and the Independent Society of Musicians in 2018 and it found that 57% of music, dance and drama students in higher education had experienced some form of abuse. Now that is from Hattie's article as well. Can I just say that again? 57%. 57%. That is more often than not. That is a fucking disgrace. That's fucking ridiculous. 57%. The system has let these people down unbelievably. That is a dereliction of fucking duty. 57% suffering some kind of abuse 
in what is meant to be a safe environment is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. People can't speak out about this shit. They really can't. Look, even I can't speak out about it because of fucking libel laws. I'm sitting here biting my tongue, not trying to tell you who I'm talking about. It's hard. It's really fucking difficult. Now, hopefully at the end of this podcast, I will get to help you out a bit with some ideas about this, but at the minute, I don't know what the fuck to do about it. I'm highlighting the issue. I'm telling you, it's fucked. I'm going to show you the other side of the coin later on and end this on a high note. So anyway, let's get the fuck out of this. Let's try another topic about music college. Um, We're going to get into part five of this podcast. Okay, so part five, we're going to be talking about the class gap in music college. So it's one of the most difficult things I personally found out about music college was the class gap. Is class gap the right word? Anyway, social classes. So I'm talking about social or economic classes, the backgrounds of the people, the students there. As if I haven't said it 15 times already, I'm from a strong working class background. And so classical music wasn't really a thing for me. I wasn't exposed to it properly at all until I went to music college at 18. And it was a culture shock. The class of the people there, some of the people, not all of them. Um, I should say before I start this, I went to Royal Welsh. The woodwind department of Royal Welsh were fucking amazing. The students, I mean, they were amazing. They were incredible. I loved them, especially my year. They were so fucking sound. They were brilliant fun. They were a great mix of people and they all had compassion and understanding for each other and their different backgrounds. So anything I talk about in this is not about them, okay? They were fucking superb and I don't want them thinking, because I know a few of them listen to this podcast. It's not about you guys. You fucking rocked. I had a blast of a time. But my first shock at music college as a working class person was the very first night. You get that little moment where your mum and dad leave you off in student accommodation. You're on your own. You've just moved out. What's the first thing you do? Crack open the fucking beers, man. I brought six desperados in my suitcase from Belfast over. I was ready. They were left over from a holiday in Magaluf a week before. So I'm bouncing about the place. There's 200 people in this place. I'm going to meet all the new students. Like, do you want a beer? Do you want a beer? Where are you from? Great. What are you studying? Oh, that's amazing. That's incredible. I'd never talked to so many musicians before in my life. It was amazing. We went to the pub next door. Of course you did. Had a blast of a night. I still remember the night. I remember the topics of conversation I had. I remember the shit I talked. It was so much fucking fun. And it was great. I was saying to them all, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow for freshers. We'll have a great day. It's going to be brilliant. Went to bed. Smile on my face like the fucking Cheshire cat. The cat that got the cream. I was a happy boy. Woke up the next day. Woke or walked to college. Everyone walked to college. It's a small town. Cardiff, so... We all walked and I'm passing people on the street and go, oh yeah, he was there last night or she was there last night. We thought we had a great time. So I go over to them and I'd wave from the other side of the street. I'd go, hey, hey, how's it going? And an enthusiastic hey I would give and in return I would get a head down and a, oh, hello. Now, at that time, being 18, coming from a background where people don't do that because working class background, to be totally honest, you have to talk to each other all the time because it's all you've got. So your interaction with humans is very important and if you're not extrovert, you nearly have to put on the charade of being extrovert to just survive in those circumstances. So I'm incredibly extrovert as a result of that. I had never seen this before. I thought it was me. I thought everyone fucking hated me. I was so depressed about it. I was so upset. Everyone did it that morning and I never even entered my thinking to have a bit of compassion and a bit of understanding and think, well, maybe they're finding this difficult or they're worried about their behavior or they don't know how to deal with this. No, I never considered that. I just thought everyone fucking hates me. Um, like it actually led to the point where during my first few weeks of college, I was one of those people that I was always on time for class, always. But if a class started at 30, I was usually there about 15, 20 minutes before. 
I would go hide in the bathroom for 15, 20 minutes until the class started because I didn't want to be in the corridors because I thought everybody hated me. And for me now, as extrovert as I am, the fact that I did that for quite a long time, probably more than a few weeks to be honest, um, it's quite shocking to me looking back, but it was the environment that I was in. And I didn't understand. It was my own fault. You know, in second year, I went to a party and I talked to some girl who had a few drinks in her uh, in college. And she had said her and her friends had not understood a word I'd said for the last year, but they just pretended to because my accent was too strong. Um, English bitch. No, I'm joking. Again, I just wish someone had told me, but different circumstances, you know, and different class things, you know, a girl in my accommodation didn't know, I'd never had a microwave before. So I had to show her how to use a microwave because she had a private chef. And I was showing her how to, back in those days, Rustler's Burgers didn't write on the packet that you should put the bap in the toaster. They wrote that you should put it in the fucking microwave. And I was like, here, don't, here, throw that package now. That, see that packaging? I can get the fuck, all right? You give it to me. Bap in the toaster, burger in the microwave, put them together, crispy bap, soft burger, you're fucking welcome. But she never, she had a private chef. I didn't have a private chef, but I had a lot of rustlers. You know, and even when students were buying instruments, man, people used to come in with instruments and be like, yeah, I just bought a backup instrument. I'm like, what's a backup instrument? And like, yeah, in case my instrument breaks. I'm like, but they're expensive. And I'm like, yeah, it was like 2,000 pound. I was like, you spent 2,000 pound on an instrument you might not use, you probably won't use. Like sometimes I had three instruments. And it's like a backup to a backup. Or they'd be like, oh yeah, I haven't quite round to sell. I'll probably sell that in the future. I just don't like that one anymore. When I bought a new flute, I had to sell the old one first to get half the funds for the new one. Casually dropping anything more than fucking 50 quid, it was impossible for me. These guys were buying new instruments. I had to do a fucking profit and loss account to buy a kebab. This is the money we're talking about. I just, I didn't understand the class difference and the money difference. I really didn't. And that was my own fault. And that made me angry and a little bit jealous because I thought, fuck, if I had that kind of money, where would I be now? If I could just go buy instruments and buy extra lessons or have a nice flat and all that shit, where would it be now? But that's not fair. I shouldn't have thought like that. I obviously don't anymore. I have a bit more compassion and understanding. But when I was 18, I would have thought like that. And now I look back and think we were all 18. We're all kids. And there's nothing wrong with having money. And I shouldn't be jealous. And being from a working class background probably gave me skills that they didn't have. We all have some kind of privilege, so... You know, I, I had an appreciation for money. I had resilience. I had fiscal responsibility. I, I had a few different things that they maybe didn't have. We all have some kind of privilege, which we'll talk about later, to be aware of. But it was a big shock for me. So listen, anyway, I'm done with talking about the negative shit, lads. I need all of this. So we're going to get on to a nice topic. We are going into part six of the podcast. Part six of the podcast. I've got a smile on my face now, guys. Don't worry. And I really think it's that Dr. Pepper, man. Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. Naturally and artificially flavoured. Man, America's wild. I'm pretty sure this thing breaks like 37 different European Union laws. It's so nice. Anyway, right. Ah, oh, this is the part of the podcast I've been looking forward to. So I have talked about the negatives of music college. I've talked a bit about the positives. The main thing that sort of differentiates music college from other education institutions is the teacher-student relationship and I've told you my negative experience of that but they weren't all negative they were also a bit positive 43% one might say um not all teachers are dickheads can I just get that through a a good percentage of them actually do have the best interest of the students at heart I had three teachers during my time at music college 
am I talking about my music college teachers? I had three teachers at music college who I fucking loved. And they changed my life for the better. They were supportive and helpful. And they are prime examples of how much of a force for good that uh, teacher-student relationship at music college can be if it's done right. So, do you know what? Give me a few minutes here to just wax lyrical. And I really hope one day you guys... Or if you're going to music college, or you've been to music college, I hope you get to have an experience like this where you get to bond with someone this much and enjoy a relationship this much with a a teacher or a mentor in some kind of way. So, first up, I'm going to talk about Roger Armstrong. Roger was my teacher, my flute teacher at the Royal Welsh College for the entire four years. In many ways, that's the biggest compliment I could pay him because it was customary to change teachers after two years. And I was like, nah. Not a fucking chance. I'm staying Shay Rog. I'm not going anywhere. Roger was fucking amazing. I'll give you a bit of a background on him. He was uh, he was actually born in Northern Ireland. Left at quite a young age. Um, to Australia. Studied in Australia. Did his uh, master's and all that. And I don't know if he did a master's. But he studied there and did his postgrad. And then got into an orchestra and worked there for a while. Then came back to the UK and worked as sub-principal flute of the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. Which he retired from just before... I went to college. But he was still working with a chamber orchestra at the time as well. He was still doing a lot of playing. Now, before I talk about him as a pedagogue, as a musician and as a person, fucking one of the most intelligent men, if not the most intelligent man I've ever met in my life. He knows fucking everything. He built like a he built a Baroque he built his own flute, his own Baroque flute. You know, and he often did like lectures at university and he would work with like different part departments of the university and the neuroscience department and things like that to develop his theories that all related to, you know, nerves or um, the learning system, all in relation to music. It was incredible. And he knew everything about the flute. And he knew every flute player. He every recording, every player. He knew he's a walking encyclopedia, the man. He knows fucking everything. As a player himself, superb. Superb player, so solid, so excellent, and a great musician, and just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But that's not what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about his primary duty, which is every teacher's primary duty, their duty of care. He was superb. He was fucking brilliant, and I can honestly say he had all of his students' best interests at heart. I'll give you a big example. When he got any potential professional work for his students, because that often happens, a teacher will be said, oh, do you have a student that would fancy this? He divided it evenly amongst us, always. Now, he might have said, you know, it's a teaching position. I know so-and-so is more interested in pedagogy. You're more interested in orchestral stuff. Do you mind if I give it to her or him? And I go, yeah, grand, of course, if that's what they're interested in. But if orchestral stuff came up, which it did a few times, he would split it between those of us who wanted to go down that route of performing. So... He wouldn't go, oh, well, yeah, so-and-so was playing a bit better, so I'm going to have to give it to them. No, it was, you get it split evenly. I'm principal for the orchestra. You're coming to play with me. I fucking decide you're getting it evenly. You all deserve a chance at playing in an orchestra. He gave me my first chance at playing in an orchestra. My first ever gig with the orchestra. I can't remember which one I did first, but I did a series of... I did Beethoven Symphony Cycle, which, Jesus Christ, for me, like, Beethoven Symphonies are my... Oh, baby. It's nearly as good as the Arctic Monkeys. Um... And I did L'Après-Midi d'un Fun, the Debussy. Après-Lude à l'Après-Midi d'un Fun. When he was doing the flute solo. So I got to sit beside my teacher doing the most famous flute solo in the world playing. I played third flute. But yeah, I got to be there in the room. It was amazing. 
So spitting that up as work was amazing. He was so kind and considerate. He would send massive emails. If I had asked for an opinion on a topic, he would say, I'll get back to you in a few days. And he would give me a full email, links. He would sometimes do recordings. He would burn CDs. He would find the time for it. And this was not a man that was had a lot of free time. He was a very busy boy. But his, t- his students went up high on his priorities and he always thought about it. Always. A very kind man. Would have taken phone calls whenever he needed to. Did not clock out for the summer. He would always be there for some kind of care. If I, I always knew if I had a problem when I was in Cardiff, if something went wrong, I would go straight to Roger and he would help me out. I always knew he had my back. I mean, not fruit otherwise. If something happened to me, I would go straight to him. He was fantastic and I can never speak highly enough of him. He's the epitome of a great teacher and a great pedagogue. Yeah, 10 out of fucking 10, lads. Superb. He's the fucking man. Number two on the list, um, Eva Stewart. She was my principal, t- or my principal, my piccolo teacher. She was the principal piccolo player in the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. Um, I didn't have that many lessons with her. I hated piccolo. I got a couple of lessons a year, but the ones I did get, I fucking loved. Everyone loved going to Eva because when you came out of a lesson, you felt fucking brilliant about yourself. And that's what a teacher should do. She supported you. She knew a lot of us didn't really give a fuck about piccolo. We did it because we had to take it off the box. She made us like it. She made us enjoy it. And that was probably her, her biggest strength. Um... She was the one that told me to buy a real leather jacket. I turned up once to a lesson in a fake leather jacket because I just heard that New York Day Monkeys record. I was like, I'm going to wear a leather jacket. And she was like, it looks amazing on you. You should get a real one. And she offered to give me her old one, which was like one with a, her old motorcycle gang logo on the back. And I was like, I can't take that off you now, but thank you for the offer. She was brilliant. She gave me loads of advice. Um, she was superb. She actually very sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but... I have nothing but great words to say about her, genuinely. And the last one on this list, before I fucking go on this too long, uh, Magdalene Meunier. So when I went to Paris, I studied at the Royal Welsh College, of Mu- or Royal Welsh, I studied at the École Normale de Musique de Paris. My teacher was Catherine Canton. Magdalene, at the time, I would have loved to have studied with her. She wasn't teaching in Paris, but I got lessons with her before, um, and I got lessons with her during my entire time in Paris on the side. I didn't pay for them. We had an agreement that Magali offered me that if I taught her kids English and helped her with a wee bit of babysitting once a week, she would give me a lesson here and there in return. And she was very generous with the time she gave me for her lessons. And because she knew I was so into her, the orchestra, she was principal through the radio orchestra, the Radio France Philharmonic. The lessons were always, I'd go to watch the rehearsal. She'd get me into the rehearsal. I'd watch that. We'd go for lunch together with the orchestra and then we'd get a lesson which watching the orchestra and meeting them afterwards and talking to the players and all that was incredible i have met the likes of emmanuel bayou because of her she's like oh yeah i'm going to meet him do you want to come along always looked after me um but generally she's one of those teachers that really cares about her students and i think one of the things i've noticed with her teaching is she'll always legitimize a student's emotion so if a student comes in and says something's happened to them, no matter what age they are or no matter what's happened, she will never downplay the emotion and she'll understand it will have an effect on their playing and probably most of the time it's more important than playing the fucking flute. And she'll take that into your consideration and she'll always have compassion and understanding with her students. Always. Always. And she's actually an incredibly good teacher as well, but it's the compassion first. Like I'll give you a quick story. Uh, when I was in Paris, I got robbed one night i didn't get robbed i got swindled like a fucking western lawyer i got swindled bad i came home drunk and walked home four o'clock in the morning with a friend and some guy took my credit card out of my pocket because i put my arm around him and he wanted where the party was and i was like me i know where the party anyway took advantage of this 
kind Irish soul. Anyway, took my money. I woke up the next day. Fuck, where's my credit card? Bank rings me. I've got a sore head. The bank goes, Gareth, have you just withdrawn 4,000 euro in cash? Have a fuck. I don't have 4,000 euro. Well, someone has. Jit. Oh, fuck. I got the money back a few weeks later, but for a few days, especially, I was freaking out. I was panicked. I didn't really know what to do. I had no bank card. I had no way of getting money transferred to me. I was thinking, fuck, am I going to get all that money back? I only had like 80 euro in the account, so it was an overdraft. I was like, I'm going to pay that. Um, But I was worried about like what I'm going to do now. How am I going to eat? Um, and I saw Magalie during that time and she just said like you know how you doing and I told her the whole story and she's like why didn't you come to me do you need money now I will help you now do you need somewhere to go do you need me to talk to someone do you need me to help you out straight away didn't even think about it and she was actually nearly offended that I didn't tell her earlier and I was like yeah but you're my teacher I don't really feel like that's the right thing to do and she's like, no you come to me if I can help I'm here I'm in Paris I'm French I understand the city I understand the system I can help you and I was like fuck not many teachers would do that for you, genuinely for your best interest, not to control, not to have a weird power dynamic, to look out for you, that's a duty of care, fair fucking player, those three teachers were the gold standard of pedagogy, they're all fucking amazing, they're all brilliant, and if you ever have a chance to go study with Roger or Magalie at any point in your life, fucking take it, and tell them I said hi, right guys, here we are, we're at the last bit of the podcast, we're going to wrap this up quick, we're ending on a good note, everything's happy, and I've got more of this fucking Dr. Pepper in me of the strawberries and cream. Oh, mummy. It is fucking loaded with sugar, man. It's class. It's so sweet. Right, here we go. Gonna rifle through this. These are my tips for surviving music college. Or my five tips for... I wish that I would have known. I wish someone told me this back when I started music college, okay? So, number one. Have compassion towards your fellow students especially those who are from a different social or economic class. Now, what that means is you're all struggling, it's all hard, and you all want to make friends. Figure out ways to communicate with your fellow classmates. That means if you're from different social backgrounds or different economic backgrounds or you come from different countries or you just don't do things the same, figure out the way they do it. Meet them halfway. If you're the kind of person that always socialised in the pub and you that's how you socialise, you go to the pub, you watch the football and you talk to your mates and you've done that your whole life and you're at music college, understand it might not be like that anymore. Throw yourself out of your comfort zone. Go and ask someone if they want to go for an oat milk matcha at Pret-a-Manger. Push yourself out there. You might fucking like it. They're lovely. They're lovely. Put the lager down. Put the beer down. Put the carling down and go out. Get yourself a wee latte and a wee biscotti. Away you go. You might like it and try socialising sober. And here, if you're on the other side and you are a pédemanger girl or boy and you enjoy going there and you enjoy the finer things in the wine bars of Chelsea, maybe go to the boozer. If you see the working class person and you're not really sure how they mix or you know they like football, go watch a football match with them in the pub. Do you no harm. Try a pint of beer. It might be nice. Meet them halfway. Don't just think, oh fuck, they're not like me. Uh, this is the way you're meant to socialise, they're not doing that, no, we can't do it. Meet them halfway, push yourself out of your comfort zone, do it once. Go and find one person and do something that you would never have done. Meet them somewhere where they want to, go to their home ground and see how it goes. I promise you, you're all struggling but you all want to make friends, just find a way to communicate. Number two, be aware of your privilege. Now, all of you have privilege. Every fucking person has some kind of it, especially music college. Trust me, you all have it. I'll give you a few examples of this. If you're the kind of person where money is no real issue and you're funded, have a bit of sensitivity when you're talking around people that don't have money. 
So for example, do not go bragging about your new instrument or how you've got a comfortable flat or God forbid even worse say something like, oh my fancy flat, it's not very nice at the minute, it's such a tip or whatever. Don't complain about it, okay? Because you're just going to trigger people with no money because they'll go, well fuck you. That doesn't mean you can't talk about it, you can of course talk about it, but have awareness and appreciation of your privilege. Okay, and that goes both ways. If you're a working class person, for example, one of the things I always realized was I took for granted. I have a wonderful support system and had a wonderful support system back home of family and friends. If anything went wrong, I knew you could go home for a weekend and see people and party. I had great friends and a great social life, huge group of friends that I'd known for 20 years and I loved them to bits. And I thought everyone else had that. So I would say, oh, I'm flying back this weekend. I've got friends or, and if I was lonely in Cardiff, I could move back. And not everyone had that. So I had to maybe check my privilege in that and go, fuck, maybe I should have a bit more awareness and appreciation that that was something that I had that others didn't. And when I'm talking about it, have a bit more tact and just show that I am aware that that's maybe something. You all have something. If you're listening to this podcast, you have some kind of privilege over another person that might piss them off. If you don't show awareness and appreciation, go and have a think what yours could be and think who it could affect. You might have different ones for different people. Go have a wee think and just you don't have to change your behavior you just have to show awareness and appreciation find a way to put into the conversation oh yeah i know i've got that you know i'm even saying something as simple as like oh, i shouldn't complain and but you know sure or i'm well aware i've got that and you know changes the whole thing and you'll find making friends a lot easier especially in a place as diverse as music college number three get out of college sometimes get the fuck out of that place lads get out Get a hobby that doesn't involve music. Now, it could be other kinds of music, but it's a hobby that's out of the fucking music college with people from out of the music college. Now, most music colleges are in big cities, so you can find a hobby there. If you like football, do what I did. Don't go to the pub and watch the match on your own. Go join a supporters club, okay? If you like, I know, I love Chelsea. I went and joined a Chelsea supporters club when I was in Cardiff. If you can't find a supporters club, go support the local team. Go down and watch a few games. Go to the third division game. It's only a couple of quid in. Go watch out every other Saturday and make some friends there. Go into your Facebook and find them. If you like reading, go join a reading group. When I was in Cardiff, I went to the comic book store every Wednesday to get my new comics. Made friends there. Find something. If you can't find anything, go on to meetup.com, find a new group, do something. Go and find a group outside of music college to socialize. It will give you perspective. I promise. You should all have this experience once where you're in a bar with normal people or normal students especially. They have, the, they have the inevitable question of what do you study and you not being aware that that's not a normal answer say flute as if that's an actual degree and they go uh, what and their reaction that's the normal one and you should have that experience once so you can realize oh yeah I should have said music and then explain that I do flute because saying I study flute is the 95% of people in the world is a very fucking stupid thing and be like what you study flute your degrees in the flute what are you like a fucking be a fairy who studies the flute so go and socialize outside make one friend outside and do one hobby outside of music college regularly not one off you don't get away with that trust me do something and it has to be a hobby going boozing is not a hobby okay you can drink in the hobby but drinking itself is not a hobby get a real one okay number four find people to talk to now i mean in a serious sense if you're at music college, there is a good chance that your students' union will offer some kind of counselling or therapy, usually for free. Go and take advantage of it. Don't sit there and think, oh yeah, but I don't need it, it's not as bad. 
Have a wee think of one issue that if you did go to therapy, you would talk about. Have a think about it. Find one. Sit on that for a few days. Then, when you, if you still think that, go and book it. Go and book one session to talk about it. Now, the worst that can happen is the guy go, listen, you're not really suitable for therapy or counselling. You don't really need it. You're fine. Grand. Better safe than sorry. Get someone to talk to you early, though. Go and book one session. If it's free, fucking do it. It's there for you. Go and book one Get the door open. Get the ball rolling. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't put it off. It's brilliant. Therapy's class. And the ones at Music College are good. If you don't have that option and there's no other support for students to get a free one, one of the things I did, go and connect with someone from back home. Okay? So if you've got friends back home, you've moved away to a new city, it's tough. Stay in touch with your friends. Message them more than you normally would, okay? Fire them a message twice a week. Just even say to them, here, this is what I did this week. Isn't this a bit mad, this Music College thing? Find someone outside to talk to. Someone from back home is perfect. If you haven't got anybody from back home and neither of these two solutions work for you, fire me a message, okay? I've got a few other ideas, a few other places you can go, a few other options. I just don't have the time to talk about it in this podcast. Fire me a message. I'd be delighted to help you out. Totally anonymously. I'll not tell anybody. I've been there before. I actually once did a Yu-Gi-Oh! competition in Cardiff and I haven't told anybody that until right now on this podcast. There's no shame in it. Right, and the last thing. Most important one, number five. Remind yourself of what you already achieved regularly. Now, music college is a stressful, high, highly competitive area. Specialised, elite level music making. And that never stops. Unlike other places where you can finish your assignment or finish your thing and go have a break, you never stop in music college. There's always practice to be done. And you're always looking forward. Take a break sometimes and looking back. Have a look back. Getting into music college, if you've done it, is a fucking achievement. Or if you did it. I did 12 years ago the first time, and I'm still... It's probably my biggest achievement of my life was getting into music college. I'm still so proud of it. No matter when it was, here's a bit of advice. Find out when you got into music college. So find out the day you got accepted. Go back in your messages. Go to Facebook Messenger. It's all there. It never deletes, for better or for worse. Go flick back to the day you got in and see who you messaged and what you said. Or go check in your status and see what you said that day. Look at how happy you were and look at how many people messaged you saying, well done, that's incredible. These little reminders are super important. Go and do yourself a wee favour. Do that. Go and check about the day you got into music college or whatever big performance you did when people talk to you about it. But get some reminders of how much you've already fucking achieved and do it regularly. You're going to be beaten down at music college. It's a weird place. Big yourself up as much as you can. Do it yourself. Go out and make the fucking effort. Love yourself. Give yourself a bit of compassion and remind yourself you've done fucking great things to get there. Now, lads, that's the end of the podcast. This is the second run of this. I really fucking hope it works this time. As in, well, I've got through it and I haven't broke down, so I think we're doing right. Um, Last thing before I go, if any of the things I've talked about have triggered anything for you or you find it difficult and you think, fuck, I need to sort this out, there is one resource I will point you towards. It is Help Musicians. The website is helpmusicians.org.uk. I'll put it in the description. Um, go and reach out to them. They do have um, resources for mental health and if you suffered from bullying or harassment or abuse, there is also different resources available on the website. Use them. They are superb. So if you feel like you need a bit of help, that's the place to go. Now, lads, listen, I'm away off to finish this strawberries and cream Dr. Pepper and probably never sleep for about a week. Have a great weekend. Look after yourselves. It's been a fucking pleasure. As always, love you loads. Mwah.